On March 31st, 1848, the Fox sisters introduced a spiritualist movement to the United States when they came in contact with a ghost of a murder victim in their Hayesville, New York home. The belief that spirits of the dead coexist and can communicate with the living spread across the United States, making spiritualism an everyday part of life in Victorian society. Tonight, we discuss the movement and its impact on society with Cincinnati-based historian and author Jeff Cease. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another wonderful episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents the Hometown Haunts podcast. I'm your host, Kat Cloco, and with me every week, we have Jen Kohler and Christina Wald. Welcome, everyone, to the show. You can follow us on social media at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter and at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. And of course, if you have your own hometown haunt, weird history, creepy cryptid, ghost story, urban legend, or miscellaneous interesting weird history, you can always share that with us at hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. We are waiting to hear from you. Of course, we're also an official podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and SoundCloud. Thank you, Jen. Find us on iTunes at Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities. Please rate and review us there on YouTube, also where you can see us. Hello. And so other spooky lovers, creepy cryptid lovers, weird history lovers, just like you can find us. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Jeff Cease, who is the librarian and history columnist at the Cincinnati Enquirer and the author of several books on local history, including Lost Cincinnati, Hidden History of Cincinnati, and Cincinnati and Illustrated Timeline. Welcome back to the show, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks. Good to be back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's keeping cool, I hope. As best it can be. Yeah. Yeah, we're all kind of melting here. <laughs> so it's we had you on before talking about some of the great architecture and history of Burnett Woods from an earlier episode. And you are working with Christina on the Magic 8-Ball. Uh, the comic. Yeah, comic. Mm -hmm. I was like, submission was the word I was looking for <laughs> for this year's Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Comics Anthology, which is a great, I love it. It's a great... Um, not retell i guess retelling or telling of uh since graphic retelling yeah yeah it's, it's a really neat way that you wrote it where it's told from the point of view of sir arthur conan doyle yes um i think is is a, a very interesting take i don't think a lot of people know that he has a connection to cincinnati and that's why i think the story is so great for the anthology yeah yeah and uh, I know personally, I just got my copy of Hidden History of Cincinnati, and I've been reading through that, and that's been really fun. So I enjoy your books, Jeff. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. And then tonight, you're sharing with us the history of spiritualism uh, in, in Victorian time, basically. And where would you like to start? Um, well, um, you know, these are... I'm not by no means in any sort of expert or anything. It's just stuff I've kind of researched and read over the years. Uh, some of it from researching the uh, the story for um, the comic. Um, and that was, uh, I kind of spoke about her before, Laura Pruden, who is a, a well-known medium in Price Hill here. Um, and, you know, from 
the kind of historic perspective of where spiritualism was coming out is really kind of came out around the 1840s, 1850s. Um, and, uh, you know, the, uh, the Fox sisters were, I guess, were the kind of credited with the launching of that whole movement um, in the 18, I forget the years, but 1848, something like that. And, yeah. Um, Especially yeah. launching it in the United States. Right. I mean, and spiritualism, I think, is, is I mean, it's a kind of a global thing. You know, it, it's it, it's more than just a bunch of mediums popping up. There's almost a reaction to how people's attitudes were changing. In particular, you have, you know, the Industrial Revolution is kind of starting and science is moving up. And essentially, they're kind of uh, starting to question the age-old beliefs of things, that science is... Um, proving things that are starting to question basically, you know, even does God exist, etc. And, and so people were really craving answers and beliefs. And uh, to some degree, um, the idea of reaching out to um, an afterlife that is, is proof that an afterlife exists is therefore proof that God exists. And so that's what kind of is driving a lot of those um, beliefs um, and Calvinism had been real big before that, where it was a lot of uh, predestination um, that we can't do anything to um, <clears throat> to uh, change our fate in afterlife. Um, it's all predetermined, and this was that. And it was kind of the um, filling that void of okay, our whole thought processes have changed. What is that? And, and I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of fear, I guess, but they kind of latched on to that. Um, and so when you have the like the Fox sisters who are able to, uh, you know, the, the claim is that they can actually communicate with the other side, it's like, oh, okay, you know, that that's proof for the stuff that people have been talking about. And um, people kind of figured out other ways of, of communicating. And next thing you know, it's like a cottage industry all over the place. And some people mm -hmm. got particularly good at it enough that they could start charging money and <clears throat> they're all over. And it lasted quite a while. If you talk the 1840s and Laura Pruden's doing things in the 1920s, you mm -hmm. know, we think of trends <laughs> if it's three <laughs> years old, you know, that's a, you know, it's passe, but you know, this is something that took on enough that, you know, spiritualism was a partial um, religious movement. Part of it is, you know, the, the whole spiritual and, and paranormal. Um, and it, it's more than just people who believe in ghosts, you know. Yeah. It really was their whole thought process. It, it tended to grow up along with two, I'm going to call cousins here. We got photography and science growing. Like you got germ theory and all that being understood. And at the same time, you have gothic horror becoming a popular subject. So they're all kind of growing in tandem. And they really collide in the late 1800s with spirit photography, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Well, I think that yeah, kind of going off of that, you know, you look at stuff like, um, you know, Frankenstein, you know, the, those are talking about it's Gothic horror writing about the technology and the spiritual matters of, you know, the, the soul and, and all that kind of stuff. It's all kind of hitting it together. So you're right. They're, they're raising up in tandem. It's not, they're mm -hmm. not vacuums and um, yeah, the spiritual photography is particularly, you know, um, 
where it kind of culminates in that. Yeah, I think it gave it a second wind because you definitely have spiritualism riding up really quickly with the Civil War. And you also have Mary Todd Lincoln, who is probably the U.S.'s most well-known spiritualist outside of the Fox sisters. And basically, you can imagine this trend started in the late 1840s. It was going to wane. And then you have the Civil War and Mary Todd Lincoln. Mm -hmm. And that just gave it this spark that it needed again, because this is a way now for everyone to be able to talk to the dead you don't have to go through the pope you don't have to go through a priest you don't even need to go through a minister you can just get a talking board or any other form of divination or maybe somebody you know is a spirit medium which existed beforehand and you can talk to your relative who passed away during the war and in particular of course the war was devastating and so you have you know a lot of uh more tragic tragedy you know the of people you're wanting to communicate with um i mean we kind of saw that a little bit with sir Arthur conan doyle later it was his grief over losing his mother and then later his son in the war in world war one that kind of drives them to that um there was a quote i read something about the civil war converted like two million people to spiritualism <laughs> because you know that's this was a comfort again you know for uh and they're kind of reaching out to and then you're talking about uh, the photography you know that's again science but it's so harder to understand for people you know we, we we understand even if we don't know the the science of exactly how light is captured on all that stuff you know the average person may not know all of that but we do we're used to it you know we forget about when new technology was coming in this stuff is just completely mind blowing, and you know the, and some of it's apocryphal, but it's like those stories of like, are you capturing our soul in a photo, and um, and then photo techniques that we can't explain, and long exposures and things like that that look mm -hmm. like ghost images, and all that stuff is very easy to then justify your claims. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, oh well, this is this. You know, um, you know, a Doyle would have pictures of you know ectomorphs and things that they would say. It's like, well, wasn't he it's hard um, to disprove? Right? I, I wasn't he convinced by those fairy pictures too. That uh, yeah. what's the name of that woman? That, uh, I'll have to look it up. That that took all the pictures of the little fairies. I remember the story. I can't remember her name, but yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. something I want to say. Uh, I'll look it up. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was totally taken in by that, wasn't he? Yeah, and, and I've always kind of felt with Doyle, it, um, I mean, I don't know his, his mind exactly, but it always seemed like he was just overcome with grief and wanting to believe. Um, because, you know, here's a guy who you know, created Sherlock Holmes, you know, the most logical, uh, you know, proof oriented, uh, you know, creation. I mean, there's even a story where um, Holmes debunks <laughs> there being ghosts. Um, and then here, his creator, the guy who wrote those words, you know, 10, 15 years later is a firm believer, you know, there's, mm -hmm. um, there's more to it than Oh yeah, he just he just believed. Right. And I just looked it up. It's the Cottingly Fairies is the name of the photo series. And it was 
that he believed in and Elise Wright and Francis Griff- Griffiths were the people photographers of that yeah yeah i was just looking at the cottingly fairies yeah and it says sir arthur conan doyle uh was convinced that they were proof of magical beings you know yeah. and he thought they were genuine yeah. haven't they said though that they still can't figure out how they took the photos mm. or have they know. ever admitted to how they set them up or anything oh you know what i don't know that is- I, I heard a podcast about it not too long ago. I can't remember which one, or I saw it somewhere. Well, that's and, definitely uh, something to look into. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind, kind of fun one of the re- big recreate. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you could do with double exposures and stuff like that. That if you knew what you were doing, you probably could do that. Um, how much they knew then. I mean, it certainly in the late 1800s, it was a lot harder to take pictures, um, yes. you know, than it is now, um, you know, because of like you were mentioning the long exposure times and stuff like that. But I would think if you were very enterprising, I mean, I've known people that, you know, did a lot of work with film and you could do some pretty convincing special effects, you know, by double mm-hmm. exposure and stuff like that. And to me, that's what this kind of looks like. Somebody was able to double expose something mm-hmm. um i'm not sure totally how they did it i mean the thing that's nice about it looking at the picture i'm looking at it it's the fairies are kind of in a different light than the person is yeah it's it they look very much like obvious cutouts that have been superimposed but mm-hmm. anyway um bringing this back to spirit the spiritual <laughs> movement especially here in the united states um what i've always noticed just looking through like the popularity with talking boards or just other uses of what would be necromancy being able to talk to the dead is not necessarily raising the dead from like a zombie it's just being able to talk to them and uh, um, other forms of uh, divination they always tend to follow war basically like they become popular during war and um you have it with the civil war we were just talking about and also again with world war one that's when the ouija board became really popular and other talking boards to the point where in our contemporary media um there is a few scenes in downton abbey where it shows the different people using the talking board in uh one of the quarters but indiana i know i'm from indiana um we have camp chesterfield so do you know much about camp chesterfield Jeff? No, I don't. Not really. I mean, I've read a little bit about it, but not in any sort of, uh, I don't even know I could sum it up. <laughs> well, like Ohio and Indiana saw a lot of people fight during the Civil War. If you go to Gettysburg, there is multiple, multiple federal, um, I don't want to call them tombstones, monuments to different groups that fought in the war. And you can't go to any graveyard or cemetery in any of these states without tripping over veterans of those of that war and uh indiana had a a really they called him a champion of spiritualism which was john westerfield of anderson and he was the one who created uh the camp um just camp chesterfield it's just south of muncie if i remember and it's still a functioning spiritualist community and uh they I was looking at their website earlier today. They still are doing events, but they're way trimmed down because of COVID. 
but uh, you have you can go there and get read by true spirit members of spiritualist church and um, go shop there learn about it there's lots of places to kind of meditate and try to contact the dead and this is a place we haven't i haven't been to maybe we can make it a field trip but it's on the uh um national register of historic places because it's one of the few uh spiritualist communities uh, outside the ones i think in new york state that still exist and wow. it's such an important cultural mark that just for religious purposes and cultural purposes that it's actually on that register so do you think this movement was born mainly out of grief or fraud isn't all religion I don't know. I I just you can see a more direct correlation with it if because around wars, of course, you're going to want to try to talk to your your loved one, especially if they were taken from you suddenly or in a horrific way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And it, like it's... with Conan Doyle, I mean, that's what drew him to it. Right? Was the loss of his mother? Yeah. No. So I I know I've talked to. I'm not a grief counselor at any way but uh people know that i do hunt ghosts i guess for a lack of a better term so when they do have people that pass away in their families i get contacted a lot asking if i know anyone whom they can talk to to try to contact their dead relatives and the mediums that i do know absolutely won't do it within the first six months to a year after death if if really yeah if they're um in my opinion, good mediums who are there for just because for some reason they can talk to the dead and they seem to be pretty um, accurate with their readings, they will not talk to families who are still in mourning because it, <laughs> having had people pass away in my family, you can misinterpret every single thing said as something that your family member did or is relating to you in some way and Mm -hmm. authentic mediums aren't looking for just general broad generalizations they want specific stuff saying like at 7 37 every night dad went and watched a rerun of jeopardy but it had to be from the 1970s or whatnot i have no idea that's just an example but you want specific stuff like that as a medium. You don't want to be saying, well, I feel like they wore a black hat. I hear a dog. Yeah, What's that's up? my dog. My, my dog, I think it's that. your new one? <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> Let me step away for just a second. It's fine. <laughs> well, that yeah, was uh, not as loud as Boo barking the other week. <laughs> that oh, was yeah. funny. That did, that did uh, wake everyone up. Gave me a damn heart attack, that damn dog. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. We have a puppy. It's a, it's a, that's your, that's Aww, your res- puppy. That's your, that's your rescue fail. fail? Yeah. Yep. It's, it's Grogu. Oh, you, you adopted him, huh? Yep. Aww. <laughs> you want to come up? Up to the camera so we can see it. What? He's pretty big now. Come on. <laughs> Don't pull your back out trying to land. Yeah, <laughs> oh, what a cutie! Hi, he baby. has gotten big. Yes. I remember how little they were. I know they were this big before. Yeah. 
now oh. he's, he's big. Mm-hmm. And my wife is out, and so I'm making sure he doesn't eat everything. Well, yeah. <laughs> Including you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, I get that. Get your monkey. Go get your monkey. What we talk about what was the what was the thing that made the sisters initially that skyrocketed them to fame? So um the Fox sisters, so Margaret and Kate. Let me look them up really quick. Um was it so, that they just couldn't be debunked? Well, so it was not just that, it was because they were so reliable about how they could contact the dead so it all started in march of 1848 and the family started getting tapping in their house and from what i remember off the top of my head it was supposed to be a door-to-door salesman or a peddler of some sort that had been murdered in the homestead and that's who they were talking to and he kind of served as a spirit guide and for those who aren't into the jargon of spiritualist movement or mediums spirit guides act as a go-between between the human medium and the netherworld basically so they're kind of your little buffer that you want to have so that you can't get possessed for instance uh, unless you were purposely trying to do that and then you still have spirit guides there to try to um, keep full possession you want from happening like but it's not a possession like in the exorcist it's more of a possession like having great aunt tilda talk through your body for a little bit and there are mediums that do that and during lauren prudence time there were a lot more mediums that did that it's kind of a taboo thing to do now just direct possession like that so actually talk about lauren pruden a little bit and her influence here in cincinnati and abroad but I don't didn't get much of a sense, of, frankly, of her being much of an influence in Cincinnati, because um, I don't think that I think she was more known around. This is just me where she, where she was. Um, but you know, apparently from you know the, the accounts, she was pretty well known in Europe, and um, you know, and of course, travel is difficult. So a lot of times, I think she actually would go to like a city like new york or chicago and meet up with people so she was i'm not always here in cincinnati um but you know doyle met her several times and but it was completely aware of her reputation even before they had met i mean he, he kind of made a point of meeting with her um and you know i i have not steeped enough to know how well she compares to other mediums at the time but uh meaning like in fame um mm-hmm. but there's an awful lot written about her for something that's not really covered in a lot of mainstream reporting. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, uh, spiritualist societies, as we kind of mentioned before, that, you know, these were big societies with, you know, well-known, you know, they're like, it's, it's not just a medium in a whole, in a house with a whole business and putting up a sign saying, you know, I can, talk to the dead it's you know it's almost like an organization of of um connections so in cincinnati there was a spiritualist group um that she was a part of um that there was a lot of talk with them when she passed away and she was supposed to pass on a message um 
from beyond and stuff like that. So, you know, there, this was, I mean, it kind of, when reading about it, it reminded me of these, you know, like literary club and, and stuff like that. It's kind of these names of movers and shakers in town, but these were all people who were. It's almost a secret like, society or is that too. I, I don't think it was a secret. Connotation, I mean, not problem. Yeah, but I think it was, you know, uh, a, a club you know, a, a, um, in that sense, um, like Queen City Club or Literary Club and, and some of those that, yeah. Um, well, and so I was noticing, oh, sorry, go on. No, no, I've, go ahead. No, I, we did a tarot episode a couple of weeks ago and the, the famous, uh, uh, writer, uh, was it writer Smith? What's the third name? Uh, people get the idea, uh, tarot deck. Um, TWS, but, um, Wright Smith. Yeah. Uh, like they were a group of spiritualists like yeah. the uh, smith the artist hung out with these spiritualist <clears throat> groups yeah and, and she drew uh, the tarot drew deck the cards, at the height yeah 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 you know, she so was that, drawing that was around the same time 1909 i think was when she drew them yeah so she was drawing it in the height of the spiritualist movement in really around the globe um <clears throat> So it, it, it's interesting because there was different, Laura Pruden used what could be considered automatic writing from the way it was described because she was using a little slate board mm -hmm. and she was doing it like you would have a seance circle <clears throat> or a seance room. Um, and in those cases, basically only candles were lighting the area and depending on the medium, depended on how many candles, what kind of candles and how long they would be burning. But generally in a seance, everyone would gather at a table and hold hands, call forth the spirits. And then you would have your medium who would be um, performing whatever performative way to contact the dead. And in Lord Pruden's case, it was automatic writing because she was using the like tablet to write or used her body to write for the entity and then you would also have people that would be clairvoyant clairaudient um you would have people spewing ectoplasm from their mouths and noses which are a lot of the more famous oh jen am i grossing you out yeah a lot gross. of times it was kind of like a treated cheesecloth that they would kind of take out of their mouths and oh. those are a lot of the famous spirit photography photos would be somebody spewing this ectoplasm with a ghost behind them of like a dead soldier or a dead mother or sister. So Ick. very performative. And these, um, from what I've read, were highlights of a, a Saturday night. You would go to a friend's house, a medium if there was a friend who was a medium, like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's, I think wife was a medium. So they would host parties and you would just have dinner and then seance. And from what I gathered just for tonight's show, there was a guy in Athens, Ohio, who wrote a guidebook of how to make a seance room and make one so that you could summon the dead easier and more efficiently. <laughs> Seems like a great thing to illustrate for issue three. Like, yeah, I, I would love to do like a home, like like a trading places or not trading places, but HGTV, how to make your seance room. This room. That would be a nice <laughs> little insert story. But, but that, that's a show that needs to happen. Yeah. So <laughs> do, you, um, do you know what the Fox no. sisters did? 
what was their medium of communication did they have something tapping. dramatic tapping it, okay tapping. So, tapping so you had the fox sisters sitting around the seance table along with other participants <laughs> and somehow you would have tapping and knocking and you still do this in a paranormal investigation this is an old school way of talking with the dead and you would ask a question in like one tap for yes two knocks for no or flip that and they would perform this all around the world like people would hire them mostly in the united states and in europe but people would hire them to come and to their party and like I said, they would have a dinner and then afterwards, instead of just retiring to a parlor, you would go there and do a seance instead. And I also forgot to note table tipping was also a common way of divination. And this is also where talking boards became more popular. And I do know a family story of my own where my grandmother and her sisters back in the 19 teens would get their talking board after dinner and try to talk to the spirits of the dead wow so, yeah but wasn't there also a spiritualism thing where hands would come out isn't there some sort of because there was somebody that wrote a book about it recently even and they do like these seances where like a hand will come from another world or something like I'm that. i'm sure that was probably something done uh-huh. But I, I don't remember that. I just really, the bits that stuck out to me were methods of automatic writing and then the ectoplasm and table tipping because they're mm-hmm. just so performative. And also Ouija, not Ouija boards, but talking boards. Mm-hmm. Um, also dowsing rods started getting used too. Cause- yeah. Someone had asked about, you know, how the Fox uh, sisters had gotten so well known. And um, from the readings of that, um, it, they had an older sister that was not <clears throat> a, a medium, but she was like the promoter, uh, almost yeah. like the manager. And, <laughs> Their term <clears throat> manager. Yeah. <laughs> she's the P.T. Barnum, you know, that. Yeah. And she's the one who really pushed them. And there later was a schism within the, uh, the sisters. And um, one of them... W- claimed that it was all her trying to capitalize on them so it wasn't just that they had a a method that wasn't debunked early or anything like that it was that they were actively pushing this out so they became very mm-hmm. famous um and in particular uh so i think it was maggie uh, fox had kind of broken away and got married and and the other sister kate um I guess had like a drinking problem or something that that was getting um, brought up, and so they uh, Maggie came back and had a um, she kind of outed them and it had uh, she got paid to um, tell the secrets of how they did everything, and then a year later claimed that she she recanted and said that she mm-hmm. was being paid. Um, by a bunch of church leaders and stuff to say these things. And so, you know, it's both sides can can claim, you know, oh, she either debunked everything or she was paid and, and she really is. Um, and, and some of the methods she talked about was um, they were using their knuckles to wrap mm-hmm. on things, um, their toes, kind of the knuckles of their toes sometimes. Um, apples, they used to have like apples on strings and they dropped them. 
And basically the idea, as I understood it, is that if you tap something somewhere and then give the suggestion that it's somewhere else, that so you know you may tap something that hits the ground and then you'd be like, oh, there's that on your shoulder? And they, they think, oh yeah, that is, I feel something, but they don't really pay attention enough to where it is. Um, and I think she said slate writing was a lot of writing with with either toes or teeth. Mm-hmm. Said that. You had said that when I was thinking about how you would draw, like like where you had suggested how she might have done it. I was like, I don't even know how you would do that. You know, the idea of her like tipping it up so she could look and all that. I mean, it sounded really more, really difficult to do. Yeah, I, I think it'd be difficult to, without actually seeing these ourselves to, mm-hmm. you know, we're a much more skeptical society um, in, in all of these things. We might look at here and say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't, you know, that spirit is, you know, that, that writing is horrible. You know, that's, that couldn't possibly, or we'd be sitting here analyzing saying, well, wait a minute, Doyle was left-handed or whatever and say, you know, mm-hmm. this is, this slopes the wrong direction or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. we, we would be looking at those things that people who want to believe are going to be, Oh, well, this just proves, you know, and, I think the other thing is, is that even the people who were skeptics, they if they couldn't explain it, it's kind of like magic. You know, you go mm-hmm. to a show and until Penn and Teller tell us how it's done, we're like, I don't, wow, that's, I know it's not magic, magic, like, you know, it's some sort of sleight of hand, but I don't know how it's done. Mm-hmm. And well, it, and they're still claiming that that's what it is. So it's easier to just kind of go on. And then like today, there's still so many unexplainable things, you know, it's mm-hmm. a ghost and UFO and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Which now but, is increasingly the UFO thing. We need to do a show on this. Like they're releasing uh, all this stuff now. Yeah, they are. I um, mean, I'm not but, saying it's aliens, but. Right. Well, one of the things that we come across a lot as paranormal investigators that get called in to do these houses um seances for the record aren't something that are too common anymore they've kind of fallen out of favor thanks to all the 1980s horror movies but i've participated in one and when you have the heightened mood that gets created with the dark ambiance and the candles that mood will really even when you go on an investigation and we're going to be doing one later next month just being in a dark room with very little light is enough to make you go, what's that? What's going mm-hmm. on? You're, all your senses just kind of spike up. And doing that with the seance with any performative art is going to really hype everyone there. And what we do have in investigations is clients will come in and they'll be showing us orb photos or photos of... Um, really what is hair in front of the lens or bugs or whatnot or seeing faces and walls and there's the phenomenon known as pareidolia which is just the human mind will make familiar patterns in mess basically and we get those a lot submitted saying my house is haunted because i'm seeing demon faces in my bathroom tile and you're like no um we would go investigate read. make sure yeah um make sure that the people are sound that they're safe and then say here is a bottle of magic bubbles 
and you want to spray this on this tile and then use a magic eraser and it will be gone and just kind of calming people down. So well, yeah, thinking the um, orbs that people are seeing from their, everybody has in-home cameras now. And uh, what was it? Was it, was it um, uh, whoever does, was it, was it do- door or who is it that does the camera that's in your house? They actually put out something saying those are ring. not ghosts. Ring, it was that's ring. What it is. Yeah, yeah. Saying that that's dust. Like, yeah. The company ring. Um, yeah. Like we have, uh, security cameras in our house and once in a while we'll get a notification that something is walking through our living room and if it's not my dog it's going to be a large piece of dust or a bug that has passed by the camera but yeah it looks like paranormal orbs that corpse candles it can but do not, not have cameras in your house <clears throat> have them pointing the outwards thing. do not have them inwards <laughs> Unless you live with an abusive spouse so you can get them beating you and then you can have them arrested. Well, in my case, it was to catch a dog peeing or carpeting. So or that. Actually, I do I do have one in my living room, but it's facing my front door. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's where ours is um, too. You know, speaking of the 80s and the backlash of things like Dungeons and Dragons and how um, it, it's kind of interesting that the movies that many religious types hated actually have kept people from doing seances because what's in those movies is so scary. People don't want to duplicate that there in their homes. How much flack? Because you were talking about how those ministers paid off the sister to lie, so to speak. Uh, how incensed did the church get about this sort of thing? Um, was that a big scandal back then when it started? Um, I haven't read enough about that because i'm reading most of the you know the spiritual movements but you know church leaders in general were always the first to step up and um you know when you have a statue that is you know showing a nude figure they're going to complain about it when you're satan uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's satan it, it's always going to be something because um you know it's not only i'm not trying to be cynical here this is it's that they're either they have these sort of a spiritual thing but then they also have their own well we don't want our believers going and following something that they they know so it's it's kind of a self-preservation for you know any sort of religious thing and it's you know a little bit of power too you know there's these uh church leaders are leaders in the community and they you know they don't want to <laughs> imagine what our world would be now if our main religion was spiritualism and not Catholicism. I got an idea. That would be fascinating. And I would think the reason, I mean, if everybody truly believes spiritualism was real, then it would have thrown everybody, I think, into a spiritual chaos or just, just, just general chaos. I, it's an interesting thing to muse about because it's, it's one of those, it reminds me of that line uh, J.R. Tolkien wrote in one of his short stories where it would have been different, but it would not have been better. That could <laughs> be. Kind of, to, to me, anything that's an overarching power that has an interest in keeping itself in power, no matter what it is, you mm-hmm. know, doesn't necessarily, uh, is not necessarily better. It's just different. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's good in some ways and awful in other ways. So, I can't imagine any kind of time you have a, a strict dogma, you know, because you were talking about 
the spiritualist community in Indiana becoming its own thing, like a religion, you know, and anytime you have, you know, you're going to have people that are very dogmatic and people that aren't, and you're going to have people that want to be gatekeepers. And there's always going to be someone there's always, it's always going to be fraught with some sort of conflict. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And like Camp Chesterfield is not immune to that too, because of several of the mediums that used to work there got caught basically defrauding clients and that was a major mark against the entire community and it's the same with a lot of the mediums like i think there was a decline right before world war ii of the spiritualist movement because so many of these people were caught defrauding clients and then you also had harry houdini who i think we talked about before the show very much um trying a skeptic who was trying to kind of save people their money from being made fools of by bad mediums so Mm -hmm. yeah and and then you do have a decrease in the spiritualist movement even after world war ii i think people turned back to more traditional uh, religious views at that time and Mm -hmm. then you have the 1960s and the flower power generation which brought back new age stuff but not necessarily spiritualism yeah. careful yeah <laughs> so jeff uh you have we're going to switch gears here to your new book which is all about tomorrowland at disneyland <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about that uh yeah i haven't worked out much but um publicly yet but uh, so this is kind of the thing um so I'm, I'm writing a book on um the history of tomorrowland um throughout Disneyland, Disney World, and all the different iterations. Because uh, what I'm fascinated by is that, um, you know, the original vision was all about optimism of the future, uh, technology making better life. And, you know, Walt Disney's visions at that time was using um, corporate America to kind of help partnership into that and mm-hmm. space travel was big and we kind of forget about this stuff but they were pushing space and and things before the space race even began disneyland opened in 55 sputnik was in 57 and that some of the shows that um disney was putting out was actually explaining um the the, the push to go to space to the american public um, and there's a little, really kind of a cause and effect that the space space race was kind of starting with, well, not, not that it's all Disney, but they were a key component to getting that moving, um, which is really quite, the, the impact in culture of Disney is really hard to understate, really. Um, and, but then the problem with Tomorrowland is that the, uh, the, we catch up to the future. You know, the original Tomorrowland was set in the far off time of 1986. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know it was 1986. <laughs> yeah, it was, and you know, they were supposed to have, you know, rockets to the moon as like passenger liners and, and all that. And so, you know, we, we catch up. And so, you know, even in Walt's time, uh, lifetime, you know, the 11 years that he was around with the park, he tore out almost everything in, in Tomorrowland and built a new one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every generation, you kind of need to reimagine Tomorrowland. And in particular, right now, the last major overhaul was 1998, and you know people are saying this is is not working. Um, and 
so what do you do about it? So do you try to make it timeless or do you try to continue to rewrite what the current version of the future is? And then the other fact is, is that um, space race, no one cares about space anymore. <laughs> you know, uh, we've stopped sending rockets up ourselves. Um, we don't have, uh, it used to be that every single blast off was being watched. You know, it's, um, you know, to a large degree, reaching the moon is still the pinnacle of human achievement in <laughs> 50 years. Yeah. Since we still haven't done anything, anything different. So, um, you know, as they say, you know, we still haven't got our jetpacks. So, kind of. Right. So the book is kind of about like how the vision of what the future is changes, and then of course the the nuts and bolts of, you know, who designed this and what their inspiration mm -hmm. was, and um, so it's it's a little bit of of all of that. Um, it get, got complicated when it became multiple Tomorrowlands. <laughs> yeah. Feed into each other, so you have an attraction that starts in Florida, and then they have copies in paris and whatever and so it's um and then you have to kind of understand the history of the disney corporation at the same time and uh you know it was it's pretty big undertaking um so i'm in the i have a draft done but i am in the uh editing phase you know the thing that's unique about tomorrowland and and i've, I've kind of wanted to talk to people and, and particularly writers about this is that one of the unique aspects to Tomorrowland is its optimism, like the power of science to make life better. Like you said, the rocket packs and travel to space, Star Trek and all that stuff were extremely positive future. And it seems like a lot of science fiction now predicting the future is apocalyptic porn. I mean, we've yeah. talked about that before. Yeah, that was kind of the big push is uh, the Imagineers specifically said that once Blade Runner came out, um, and you have this dystopian future that that's became the norm. And you, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. think about all of those eighties movies that, and further, and you know, that's what we have. We got road warrior, you know, Mad Max and Robocop and Terminator and all these, these um, negative futures. When you ask people today, you know, what do you think the future is? I was, I was asking around and my sister-in-law was like, Oh, it's going to be a dystopia. <laughs> you know, like that's what they think. Yeah. That's not what they thought back at the thing. And Walt was very much a futurist and optimist about that. And um, largely without having someone with his, not only the vision, but he was the one in control. So he could say, this is what we're doing. Even if people say, why are you doing this? And I've been rewatching the movie Tomorrowland that came out in 2015. Oh yeah, that one. And you know, that it was really, that's what it's about. The, the book, I, the, when you get down to it, you know, plot and everything aside, it's about trying to say, wait a minute, we can't, why can't we go back to the optimism? You know, there was a scene where there's a teenage girl in um, school and everyone's talking about, you know, the polar ice caps melting and dystopian futures and all these things. And she keeps raising her hand saying, well, okay, things are bad, but what do we do to fix it? Mm -hmm. And that's what we were missing. And, and my argument for what Disney, what Tomorrowland should be is that vision. Like let's, let's be optimistic and how can we reach something? It's not just, and right. And for the last 30, 40 years, Tomorrowland has been just science fiction, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't space mm -hmm. exploration like because rockets are cool it was this is the next mm -hmm. 
That's a good does, although, stop. Like it doesn't. That's like a good, yeah, that's a that's a good place to stop. Yeah. Right so well, this has been a super interesting discussion. Well, Jeff, thank you for joining us. Uh, oh, so, if anyone wants to catch your writings, where can they find you? Well, I actually now have a weekly column in the Inquirer on Sundays, um, which is also on Cincinnati.com. Um, they've been making them subscriber only lately, but um, you know the paper they're there. So every Sunday, somewhere in the A section, the page kind of moves. Uh, so I've been doing um, that, and um, you know, hopefully uh, by October, I'll have a new book out. And mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a comic or something that is coming out of it. <laughs> a small little Cincinnati-based comic. Yeah, there's a little what, thing. Could that started. ever be? Yeah, I know, right? I think I think there's a medium in it, and <laughs> something about a magic eight ball. Yeah, mm. it's got something for everyone. Yeah, <laughs> future unknown. Yeah, future exactly. unknown. Well, thank you for joining us, Jeff, and Thanks for Jeff. those. Oh my goodness, what are your previous books that people can check out before your new one comes out? Uh, well, the, the new one or the the new one is not Cincinnati based, but the other ones are. Um, so we got Lost Cincinnati, Hidden History of Cincinnati, Cincinnati Then and Now, Cincinnati, uh, an Illustrated Timeline, and I also did a book on the Art Academy. Oh wow, we got a lot. You can learn all about Cincinnati just from reading your books. Well, oh, thank great. you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Every week we dive into our hometown haunt mail bucket and find these wonderful stories that you, the listeners, are sending us. So this week's is from Bob and he writes, I was going to my son's house for Easter. I was going to make something. I don't remember what exactly. I opened the cabinet where all the cookbooks were and a sheet of paper fell out. It was a recipe for my late wife Kathy's cream cheese potatoes and she always made for Easter. So I made them. Hmm. That's all he wrote. That sounds tasty. That's it's sweet. That's very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I love mean, it when they communicating to him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Make these honey. <laughs> yeah. That basically, yeah. It, yeah. Talk about our, the spiritual movement. It's like, bam, spirit mm -hmm. moved that one right in front of him. Yeah, I mean, I thought there was a short and sweet one and, and you know, very meaningful for him, her communicating with him. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, it's such a sweet memory of her that she made that every holiday. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a very common occurrence, too, for spirit to move things kind of mm -hmm. like that to make it more obvious. It's, but I like this. This is very sweet. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another wonderful episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents the Hometown Haunts podcast. I am your host, Kat Cloco. Along with me is Christina Wald and Jen Kohler. And you can find us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter, at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. And like Bob above, you can always email us your hometown haunts at hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. And 